My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to do things after work other than just read like seven romance novels a day. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, unless you want to criticize us, in which case don't, because we're perfect, check out the episode notes for our contact info. It's actually really appropriate that you're reading all these romance novels mm-hmm. in the way that like this season is going hard on like romance tropes with Michael and Fee. It really is. It's been really interesting, kind of. And that's why last episode I went on that whole tangent about like, Michael's martyr complex and and having a different layer of empathy than I might have otherwise because like there's a lot of modern ma- martyr complexes in romance novels I, usually from men but occasionally from women yeah and it it still irritates me but if the author is doing a good job I will be less annoyed by it have you read any lesbian romance novels I have been recommended a few I got one and I just like the writing was so weird I just couldn't get into it like I can tell within a chapter or less if I'm gonna like a book Uh and this one oh boy I could not get into it and I've turned back a couple of them because I am much more willing to be into like romance stuff if it's gay and that's fair and I and I I have a whole list I haven't read through any of them yet so I can't I'm out of holds at the library I'm at my max holds and they're all like eight weeks out so I can't replenish them with any new ones so I'm kind of in a I'm in a holding pattern as it were but yeah I have read 40 books this year already it is uh, at the time of recording Sunday February 27th I began reading the second book of the year February 1st (laughs) So in 26 days, I have read 39 books because I did technically read one book in January, which also ended up being a romance novel. I just didn't really think about it like that because it was just a book Quinn got me for Christmas. And so I wasn't consciously thinking like I'm doing romance novels now. But yeah, I read one book in January. I have read 39 books over the month of February. Can I say like... And I think this is one of the reasons that we're friends. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that we're friends and, like, why we understand each other mm-hmm. is I very much understand, like, this kind of being in the pocket obsessed with a thing. Yeah, this hyperfixation. Like, this hyperfixation. Like, I love it. And whenever I'm, like, deep into a thing like this, like, it's the best. Mm-hmm. I understand it. I envy it a little. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm doing my thing right now. It's good. But, like... Is your thing Star Trek? I mean, no, my thing is now just, like, watching blank check movies and just, like, I'm oh, watching... Yeah. And just watching more movies in general. Mm-hmm. Like, because I never used to watch this many movies since I was, like, a kid. So, like, that's my thing right now, and your thing is romance novels. Yeah, and I, and I have a spreadsheet. So, you know how uh, last season I talked a lot about the Burn Notice Wiki that I started editing and had to edit a lot for this episode, and also the Burn Noticed spreadsheet that I maintain. I now also have a romance novel spreadsheet. So if anyone's curious about it, definitely uh, hit us up in in the DMs, which you can find our at in the episode notes. Exactly. But yeah, I I maintain a spreadsheet so that I because I was like, at a certain point, I was reading so many books that I was having, especially once I started getting them from the library, it doesn't track it for me the same way that my iBooks does. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's no other way for me to keep track of this and like maintain any amount of sanity. (laughs) And also so many of these books are so similar that I might get confused by which authors I like, because I'm just I'm burning through on average, two a day. Right. On a weekend, if all I'm doing is reading, I can get through three. 
Um, usually I can get through one a day during the week though. Like exactly. after work, I will start a book and finish it before I go to bed. Exactly. Actually, again, I, I get this because sometimes when I'm watching these movies, I'll be like talking to like friends like Andrew or whatever. And I'll be like, I'm about to watch like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or something. Like, it's like, oh yeah, I haven't seen that. I was like, we should watch that. And part of me is like, trying the nice way to say, no, you don't understand. I have a momentum. Yep. This is what my life is right now. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't put this on hold to wait for you. Yep. You know? Yep. That's me. Every time Quinn wants to do something together, I'm like, Quinn, I, I'm so sorry. I know that like in an hour or two, you're going to be ready to like watch this thing with me. I can't wait that long. If right. I don't watch it right now, I will scream. <laughs> 100%. Cause it's like, no, this is the thing that I do at night now. Mm-hmm. If I if I have to put it on hold, because I can't go forward mm-hmm. until I get through this thing, but I then I'm just doing nothing. It's yeah. Like, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. But so, so far in my, because I, what I basically do is I keep track of, I keep track of like just the individual books. So I have, I have a whole, like one, one sheet of the spreadsheet is just every book that I've read, title, author, and then I give it a rating one out of five. Then I have a totals sheet that collects how many books I've read per author. And then it averages the ratings of every book I have read from that author. So for instance, the person with the best average rating, uh, a perfect five, is Abby Jimenez. I've read three of her books and all three of them I've rated five. And what I think I like about her books is that like, cause I've, I've enjoyed a lot of these books, you know, the, the lowest is 2.83. And I just kind of need to stop reading that lady for a little while. Um, her books are good enough that I finish them, but not enough to enjoy them. Uh, incidentally, hers was the book that had my dad's name as the dad oh, character. So that, and that was my least favorite book I've read so far. It was an adaptation of Persuasion. I've never read Persuasion by Jane Austen. And if it's anything like this adaptation, I would not like it because the dude sucked ass. But anyways, this is irrelevant. But yeah, Abby Jimenez, I like her because the trilogy of hers that I read ha- is a lot darker than the other books. It's contemporary, but like each of the books has either a major medical issue or death kind of at the center of the conflict, which is darker than most books are willing to go. Even the Regency books where death is more common, death seems cozier. Is it like, is it darker or is it like more like weepy? Like, no, it's not weepy. Because it's not like... So, like, the first book... Like, the big sick revolves around, like, an illness. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't call that dark. No, and dark maybe isn't exactly the right word, but, like, there's some pretty... Like, the, the people go through some pretty rough shit. It's not like yeah. This Is Us weepy. Right. You know, it's not like that. So, like, the first book is... But the, is it, like, Lifetime? I wouldn't say that because yeah. it's 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 contemporary and, like, incisive and funny and snappy in a way that makes it not like... I mean, it can be good Lifetime. <laughs> I'm not saying I, Lifetime I, is like a quality thing. Yeah, I don't I'm know. Just, I, but I, I, it doesn't give... It doesn't have a Lifetime like a, vibe. Like a tonal thing. Is yeah, it's, it's, like, yeah, it's more tonally like willing to go places. Right. So like the first book in the series is about a woman with... I don't know if it's necessarily endometriosis, but like some kind of thing that like she has really terrible like three week a month 
periods that are really painful and like debilitating and she is like on track to get a hysterectomy because there's just no other option for her Uh because she is in pain truly so often and there's nothing else you can do and she starts falling in love with a guy who's like comes from a huge family and is obsessed with having kids and so that's actually a martyr complex book where she eventually pushes him away because she's like he can't possibly be happy with me because i i literally can't give him kids it's not gonna happen um and they fall in love because you know compromise and love conquers all blah 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 but like a lot of the book is her like dealing with this medical issue and having to make like really shitty decisions about like her future you know it's also medical huh fall in our stars <laughs> but this one is like it's more adult it's not like nobody's romanticizing it like it's right. like they go she goes pretty detailed on like what's happening to this woman's body like almost outlander level detail of like medical things like Mm -hmm. what makes them a series in the same way that most romance novel series works it's basically you meet the characters at some point in the book previously okay so the first the second book the the main character of that book is the best friend of the woman from the first book and the third book the guy is a cousin to the love interest in the first book and he makes a brief appearance in the second book going on a date with our love interest in the second book so it's kind of that thing where it's like you barely know them a little bit but like that's how it usually works sometimes the trilogy is a cinematic universe exactly that and because the thing is you can't write a, a sequel to a romance novel right yeah you know the whole magic of romance novels is we get these two crazy kids together and once they're together i don't give a fuck but we gotta get the crazy kids together Oh, my God. I will say, though, my favorite book that I've read so far is a book by Emily Henry. Uh, The book is called Beach Read, which doesn't sound good, but that one I really enjoyed. It's about two authors, which is already, like, so masturbatory, I know, but, like, the vibes are all here. Uh, The, basically, her, the, the main girl's rival from college is now also a published author. They're both published authors. She's like a bubbly romance author who, because of a lot of family stuff, has decided like happy endings are bullshit and she can't write another book. And he is like a literary fiction darling. And he's like, I'm feeling stuck. And so they end up living next door to each other on a lake in Michigan and decide to switch genres. So as they like, you know, get to know each other, he is tasked with writing a romance novel and she is tasked with writing like self-important literary fiction and uh, to like, because both of them are having like major writer's block. And then every weekend they teach each other something about their other person's genre. So she takes him on like research trips for different meet cute options. Like she takes him to the carnival and like this kind of stuff. And he takes her to um, interviews with people going through like really dark shit, like in particular, like people who survived a cult from nearby and like they fall in love and appreciate each other's genres and it's no that sounds great i like yeah i am someone who is like in the pocket for that Mm -hmm. like it's really good i real that one uh uh, i mean i can recommend a lot of books from this list and again if you want access to this spreadsheet i got you covered bernadette's listeners uh but that would be the the one i would start with yeah that's because you're like all in on this now i really am can't like do it halfway Mm -mm. it's all or nothing for you yep let's talk about bernadette's let's talk about bernadette's yeah but yeah this episode's Season 7, episode 6 is called All or Nothing. It aired on July 18th, 2013. It was written by Rashad Razani and directed by Jonathan Frakes, which is important. (laughs) (laughs) It is important. I will say, this is one of his better directed episodes. He's doing some stuff. And Mm -hmm. this, I like it. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize he directed it. Oh. Which is funny, because... But you, like... You know the bad guy, right? 
Okay, we'll get to it. Okay. Uh, the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is Michael is conflicted when he asks Fiona to help him steal intelligence data for Sonia. Sam and Jesse help Barry track down an old girlfriend. Oh, God. And I, That's the part of the episode that I forgot. Yeah. No, no. Here's the thing. I don't read these. I don't read the, the premises. Mm-hmm. And so when that became the B-plot, I was like truly thrown. <laughs> But we'll get to that. We have to, we have to go in the weeds. Yeah, we got to get into the weeds. Let's jump right in. All right. So the episode opens with Michael running and having a whole speech about how when you're a spy, you run, <laughs> essentially. And he meets with Agent Strong, who is so happy that they've got Sonia. Like, the thing is, for Agent Strong, this whole op is paying off, like, well beyond his expectations. Because he was like, I want to get this Burke guy. And now it's like, oh my god, here's this famous Russian spy and this big terrorist syndicate or something. He's like, he's having the best, like, month of his life. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been a strong month. It has been. That's what he says. He's like, it's <laughs> this real, like, it's like, this is the strong month. Like, he's so happy. <laughs> but Michael tells Strong that Sonia, Sonia wants to end this hacker group that we later learn is called The Collective. And Strong tells Michael that Fee is going to help, and Michael is not happy about it. Yeah, He's so as unhappy about it as Fee was last week. Yeah, and and this is this is where I have to disagree with the IMDb premise. Uh, Michael is conflicted when he asks Fiona. He doesn't ask Fiona. Strong does. Strong strong arms, if you will. Yeah. Both of them into working together. And Michael spends like the first third of the episode being like, "You don't have to do this. You can leave." Right. Anyway, so Michael meets Sonia at a nice restaurant, and Sonia tells him that they're going to steal a virus, a computer virus from a computer programmer right now. I love this sequence. I'm yeah. like, this is great. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really good sequences in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the plan is that there's a guy in the restaurant. They don't know who it is, but he is about to have a medical emergency, and Michael is going to pretend to be a doctor and save his life. While Sonia steals the virus from him, like it's on a little thumb drive. Mm-hmm. And this goes off without a hitch, but Michael is pissed because he didn't get to know anything outside of their part. He wants to know what the deal is. Mm-hmm. And, and she's s- like, we silo it. Have you ever met a criminal syndicate? Exactly. But And she also says, very importantly, that he has to have faith. Like, because this criminal conspiracy is all about faith. Mm-hmm. And that's why they, they have such a easy time getting people who are just like, they love their friends. Right. You know, there's there's such loyalty in like, this group. This is like a cult. Mm-hmm. Very much. Very, very much so. I also, uh, so when I was going to the Burn Notice Wiki to double check that they had this alias, they did, but they credited him as Doctor because technically he doesn't introduce himself. But I paused the episode and you can see his name on the ID card, his like fake uh-huh. name. You know what it is? What is it? Jason O'Neill. Amazing. Isn't that cute? That is kind of cute. Oh, so that means he has two aliases this week. Mm-hmm. This is, we were worried that there weren't going to be any more aliases. Mm-hmm. Well, there is an alias this week. Yep, there I sure is. I am so excited about that. <laughs> so Michael, like, sets up a meeting. They are now meeting in the ruins of the loft. which Vibes. Vibes. No, I love this so much. Again, I talked last week about how this is kind of, like... A romance. Not a romance, but, like, of how this feels very much like, why do we have to keep making burn notice? Oh, yeah, and there's yeah. something really like potent about them sitting in the ruins of the loft. Mm-hmm. So Fee arrives, and outside, they Michael and Fee have a terse conversation that is sh- cut short by Sonia acting like he, she is already Michael's new girlfriend, mm-hmm. talking to Michael's ex. Mm-hmm. She's like, I've heard a lot about you. <laughs> it's almost like he's trying to make me jealous. Yeah. And then everyone else arrives, and Sonia lays out the deal. They need to plant this virus that they just stole, 
in the hackers' computers, which will wipe out their data and then send all of it to Michael and Co. Mm-hmm. Michael decides that he has to go in as a potential employee, as a hacker, but they're going to need to make him look like a hacker, which means pulling off a hack and also making it look like he has a hack history. Mm -hmm. And that means they're going to need Barry, who is not happy with them on account of him getting arrested. Mm -hmm. But Fee suggests that Sam buy him a fruity drink Mm. to make up for it. I like this episode a lot. There's a lot of homophobia in this episode. Yeah, I mean, you know what show we're watching, right? Yeah, I know. But it's just... At least they're consistent. Yeah. And it always seems like they think it's in good fun. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a... Like, we talked about How I Met Your Mother a couple... Of, like, at the very end of season six, we talked about it a lot. And, like, that doesn't feel like in good fun. All of their transphobia and homophobia feels sort of... Not just in bad taste, but, like, kind of vitriolic. Yeah. It does not feel that way in Burn Notice. No, but it is, like... There's like a, a there's a a manly discomfort. Yeah, a manly discomfort <laughs> is a good way of putting it, but I think it is a manly discomfort that it assumes its audience shares. Yeah. And I think that is the thing. And they're probably not wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, so Jesse and Sam meet Barry, who is pissed because he got arrested and he lost his house and he lost his girlfriend. And also his business is in shambles. Mm-hmm. And he does not want to help. Especially when he finds out that they are taking on the collective, which is like this big, huge deal. And mm-hmm. they're so good that they have hacked a bunch of his clients. And so Sam is like, well, we can get their money back. Like, our thing that we're doing, we'll get the money back. You can get your clients back. But that's not enough. And so Jesse's like, and we'll get your girlfriend back. <laughs> which is great. Jesse's really good in that scene. Yeah. As he is in every scene, because Kobe Bell is great. It's so wild. And, like, I was just genuinely thrown that that was what the B-plot was going to be. It's like, which is also so funny, too, because the whole point of Barry is that, like, we think he's kind of gay. Yeah. And it's like, he needs to get his girlfriend back. <laughs> well, I think we, we've established no, before. He is, he is very much bisexual. Yeah, he is a slutty bisexual. He, that is the trope that he is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Michael and Fee meet at this club, which is very well lit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, they do good club lighting in the show. They do good club lighting I, in I the show. I miss the loft club lighting. Yeah. Is the club underneath Michael's destroyed loft still a thing? They just, I like, left know. the destroyed... Because technically, he's renting from the guy that owns the club. Right. So does that guy just, like, not clean it out? He's just like, that's too much trouble. Yeah, no, I think, like, it's... Possible that, like, it's been bought by the government or something. I don't know. It's, or, I don't, although, if it's been bought by the government, why would they be there? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what happened to that guy. It's a very good I question. I want a spinoff show with the guy who owns. <laughs> this season's just going to be me pitching really low-stakes spinoffs of Burn Notice. Like, last oh, season, gosh. I pitched a spinoff about Campbell. This season, I'm pitching a spinoff about the guy who owns the club underneath Michael's loft. What'll oh. I do next? And when they first arrive at the club, Michael tries to tell Fee that she can leave. And Fee says that she has to do this because she cannot be beholden to Michael. If she has freedom, it can't be because he bought it for her. She has to earn it. And I, I, uh, I like that. Yeah. Although really quickly, is Barry, I thought Barry was not necessarily a hacker. What happened to, what's his face? Boring McBoring face. He's boring. Yeah, but he was, he was our hacker all last season. Yeah, but like, we haven't seen him this I think they ha- they feel like they have to do Barry once this season. I feel like Barry should have been the guy the whole time. I mean, yeah, he should have been. But maybe he was uh, not available. I don't know. The distinction between those two characters is so confusing so, to me. It's so minor. Uh-huh. It's just... Because, oh, like, God. Barry's supposed to be, like, the money guy. Like, the yeah. money launderer. Well, the thing is, like, well, really what they end up using Barry for is making it look like they stole a bunch of money. I guess that's true. Like, it makes sense. 
<laughs> but it's a little weak. Yeah. It's like a little bit an excuse to have Barry be involved. And I don't mind it because, you know, yeah. I'm glad to see Barry one last time possibly, but still. Anyway, so, yeah, Fee and Michael are dressed up like hackers. Mm -hmm. They're, like, Michael is in a weird polo, like, weird polo shirt, and Fee has a nose ring. Yeah, Fee Fee looks like like an alternative girl. Yeah, no, like... But what something I noticed in this very first scene is that they don't really have distinct aliases. They have a couple's alias. Like, it's only when they're doing, like, there's a, right now they're about to do a fake hack, and they, like in unison like crack their necks and yeah. do like a whole like together like as a unit they are a thing and yeah. it was so interesting to watch because i've never seen them do that before no really i mean there's a little bit of that in fearless leader a little bit but like yeah. but that was they were uh, there were the a whole, couple of them yeah the whole group was kind of doing an alias mm-hmm. there but like yeah, this in- is like very much yes this is a paired alias it's really good mm-hmm. like i love michael in this episode i love fia i love this it's so silly <laughs> What I love about this is that, like, this episode in 2013 understands hacking about as well as the movie Hackers from, like, the (laughs) mid-90s. Like, like, it's just, like, cool animations and nonsense words. And, like, yeah, like, or just saying a bunch of computer words that, like, the writer researched or something. It's like, (laughs) they had someone go and say, like, yeah, here's some bunch of computer nonsense. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not that worried. Like, Sony is a little bit worried. They're not even that worried that they can fool these amazing hackers with, like, bullshit. Mm -hmm. They're like, hacking's not hard. (laughs) What? Like, it's hard? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're very Elle Woods about the whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, so they meet with one of the hackers, whose name is Cody, and they show them that they're the proof that they're hackers and have been hacking that Barry made for them. Mm -hmm. He's not convinced, but then he kind of, like, is really sexist with a waitress mm-hmm. and Fee decides to play it horny which works <laughs> and then they do their demonstration where they open up their laptops like you were saying and they do all their like oh god it, there's so much business <laughs> yeah they're like cracking their knuckles they're like swirling their heads around on their necks like the, and, and it's all in sync too like as soon as because they're they're not really doing a, like Fee has a slightly deeper voice yeah. than she normally does. Michael's not super doing a voice. Every once in a while I mean, he'll throw in, throw in kind of a Bostonian accent. Yeah. But like it's light. But like when they're together and doing a thing and bouncing off each other, that's when both of them become fully different people. But they come different, they become their aliases as a unit in a way that feels not only pointed, yeah. <laughs> but also really cute. And, and it's I really miss cute. this. And it's I like, too. even when they're mad at each other, they fall into patterns so easily. I mean, that's kind of what this episode I is about. Oh, and I think it does a good job. It does a do good job at it. So they do their demonstration. They open up their laptops and say that they're going to hack the power company and kill the power to this club. But in reality, Sam, Jesse, and Sonia break into the power company manually, shut off all the power. And then, like, the police are coming and they have to run away. But Sonia's like, no, if we don't turn the power back on, it doesn't work. Sonia's seen the movie The Prestige. <laughs> And she knows that if you just make a if you just make a thing disappear, that's not a magic trick. Mm-hmm. It has <laughs> to come back. It has to come back again. But it works. And then like the scene ends, and presumably they don't get caught by the cops, even though it really seemed like they were about to get caught by the cops. Mm-hmm. But apparently it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So that works. And so Fee and Michael meet with the boss of the hackers, whose name is Jack Frakes. I completely missed that. No, and like they refer to him by as Frakes multiple times. In the episode, I that. his name is Jack Frakes. It's so funny because like the O'Neill one's kind of cute. It's like mm-hmm. subtle, and then this guy is named Jack Frakes. 
It's literally Jack, which is like, isn't it short for Jonathan? Like, Jack is short for Jonathan. He is literally Jonathan Frakes. Is it? Yeah, like, that's why they called JFK Jack Kennedy. And he is played by a guy who has a recurring role as a big bad on The Magicians. Got it. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that. He's not done a ton of stuff. Every time I rewatch The Magicians, which I've done many times now, go to his IMDb and feel like he should have done more things because he's great. He also sings on The Magicians. And like, it, in a way, he has a very kind of Javert-like <laughs> vibe to him. So he's like, just in general, and like, certainly in the episode where he sings. Mm-hmm. And it's, I just keep looking up, like, surely you've played Javert at some point. <laughs> but I've found no evidence that he has played Javert. But he should, because everything about him screams Javert. Okay. Anyway, I love him. He's great. His name is Charles Majeure or something like that. He's probably an asshole or something. Probably. Like him. Like him in this. I think he's really good in this. Mm-hmm. As Jack Frakes. <laughs> anyway, so they meet with Jack Frakes. He is immediately suspicious that he's never heard of them. And so they explain their story. The last guy that they were working with fucked up on a job hacking the mob. And the mob gruesomely murdered everyone. Apparently they like left like they killed everyone and took their severed hands and put them on the keyboards this is a a detail that fee provides that michael like looks at her in the middle like shit fee we're going that dark and then the other guy and then like michael proceeds to act the shit out of it like he's like he's just real like i never want to see that again (laughs) i never want to i never want to be through that again it's, it's like good. so like there's a lot of like we talked last week about like Bruce Campbell and, overacting. And there's a acting. lot of acting yeah. in this episode as well. Well, because they're both playing like weird flamboyant versions of themselves. Yeah. They're on the run for the mob and so they wipe themselves from the internet. Frank spies this and shows them their security, which is unfortunately airtight. Michael then asks about his chair and B explains that he needs a special chair and that Michael needs like a fridge full of yogurt. Specifically blueberry. Blueberry yogurt. I don't think we ever see the yogurt. No, we don't. We don't see the yogurt, unfortunately, but at least he requests it. I know. I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I wish we'd seen it. Like, yeah. I just needed to see that yogurt. I know. Pixar didn't happen. So then Fee and Michael meet with Sonia and explain that the only play is to, to cut into the security cameras from a cable that's like along the outside wall of the building mm-hmm. on the eighth floor, which means they have to rappel down from the roof. And then cut into the wall from the outside. And they also need a video transmitter that can override the security camera signal, which Sonia is going to have to have her associates produce. And she's like, fine. Have faith. Yeah, exactly. It's like they kind of turn her thing on her, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, meanwhile, in the B-plot of this episode, which is about getting Barry's girlfriend back, of all things... Jesse and Sam track down her car, which is apparently on the used car lot of a guy who buys a lot of stolen cars mm-hmm. uh, or something. There's a lot of weird details. It's not important. Mm. But they force him to explain where he got the car and he gives up the name of a guy called Pike. I mean, this detail is here because, like, they're worried that something happened to her. Yeah, they're kind Barry's of Because Barry's like, why would she give up her bright orange Lamborghini? I bought that car for her. Something must be wrong. Exactly. But it's also, like, kind of unclear what they think happened to her. Yeah. It's, like, very vague. Mm-hmm. Back in the house hacker office i love that they just kind of live in like a work in an office mm-hmm. they just like work in like a your standard office it looks like the same office that they did bad breaks in it's like it kind of does yeah but it's just a hacker team mm-hmm. it looks like a bank from the outside it does look like a bank from the outside it's like literally just like they may have shot it at a bank it mm-hmm. like 
Because there's like a vault that has all their servers in it. Mm -hmm. Which is the thing that they're trying to get specific access to. Exactly. They're trying to like get access to the vault. So back at the hacker office, Michael and Fee tell Cody that they need to go on the roof for a smoke break. And when Cody says that's not allowed, Michael freaks out. (laughs) Great. Love this scene. It's so fucking funny. (laughs) It's really, really funny. He's like Uh, tweaking and he's like, you gotta get this guy a cigarette. You don't want to see him on withdrawals. It's like, do you want to... Do you want to, like, escort him down eight flights of, like, stairs, like, every time he needs a cigarette? Just let us go on the roof. (laughs) So they go out on the roof, and then we get, we kind of mentioned this last week, alluded to it, this very Mission Impossible sequence, Mm -hmm. wherein the two of them, like, rappel down to the eighth floor from the roof, cut into the wall, and splice their transmitter device, Mm -hmm. their video transmitter device that overwrites the security cameras, into the security camera system. However, there's a problem when Fiona's rope breaks and then she starts to fall and then Michael catches her hand Mm -hmm. and then we get this insane sequence, (laughs) this truly wild sequence in which like the two of like her, like him pulling her up and then like, like climbing up the building, holding her Mm -hmm. is intercut. With all of this grainy footage of different Michael and Fee scenes from, like, earlier in the show, Mm -hmm. like, it almost feels like they had a cut of this in the, like, in the edit room and were like, this isn't playing enough. Like, we need, like, we need to make, heighten this Mm -hmm. to make sure that, like, all of the romantic stuff works later. Yeah, because the only other thing they have to cut away to is fucking Sonya just sort of, like, impassively watching them. Exactly. And it's like, She's, like, in a car in the parking lot or something. Like, yeah, it's literally, like, this is not as, this is not as cinematic as we wanted it to be. Like, the acting can't quite sell it in the situation. So it's literally just, here are all these clips from earlier episodes of Burn Notice where they had romantic moments. Including the flashback to Ireland from episode two that we liked so much. Uh, Yeah, it's all in there. And he just climbs up in slow motion. uh, And they get back up and they're safe. But it's a lot. It's a lot. So Michael and Sonia meet and Sonia tells them that they now have the technological capabilities to make this work, but the problem is Cody. Michael says that Cody is so DTF or fee that she can handle that. And Sonia's like, you're cool with that? You guys clearly have a thing. And Michael clarifies that they had a thing. And Sonia's like, I wish I could have had a thing. And Michael's like, no, you don't want a thing. <laughs> and it's all really sexually charged for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's like they've forgotten that Michael is asexual. Right. But whatever. I think this season has a little bit of a problem in that, like... It has the same problem that Burn Notice has always had, wherein, and I think part of this is just due to the way that they've written Michael and the way that Jeffrey Donovan plays him, mm-hmm. where this, the whole question of this season is how much of what he is doing is a bit, like how much of what he is doing is like being undercover mm-hmm. and how much of it is real. Like literally the closing monologue of this episode is about that, mm-hmm. but I never really believe it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like. I don't actually think that, like, he and Elantal have a lot of chemistry. Like, they have chemistry because she's giving them chemistry and because every once in a while, Jeffrey Donovan smiles at her, which exactly. is so rare, certainly this season, that yeah. it, it sort of makes up for it. But yeah, but there, she's so young. She's so young. Like, I don't really mind them being, like, colleagues who flirt. Yeah. As soon as they cross the line, I feel very weird about it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. When they be, when they go beyond colleagues that flirt, it doesn't work for me anymore. Right. 
Uh, meanwhile, in Operation Find Barry's Girlfriend, <laughs> they find the house of the guy who sold the car and stole the car or whatever. And he is loading big, like, gun cases into an SUV. And Barry is like, no, we have to get that guy. He's got my he's got my girlfriend, Trisha, or whatever. He's like, we, like, who knows what's going on? We have to get him now. And Sam tells him to, like, stay in the car, that him and Jesse will handle this. And then so him, like, Sam and Jesse go to, like, stop the guy. And they get the jump on him. But then Barry shows up and then the guy like gets the jump on them for a second. But then like Sam and Jesse get it back. And then it turns out that like this guy like has not harmed Trisha or anything like that. He is just Trisha's new boyfriend who and he met because she was selling the car because she didn't actually like it. It was just that Barry liked it. Mm -hmm. And and then here's the thing also about this episode is I 100% thought that this guy was lying. <laughs> like, because, like, he almost he almost does the thing that's, like, bluffing, where he's like, I think the thing that really made me think he was lying was that he does a, he goes, she's in the house, go ask her. And then Barry doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels like that was a bluff. Oh, interesting. No, I believed him immediately, especially when they unzip his bags and they're just fishing poles. Well, the thing is, he un- he unzips one bag. Yeah. Like, that's the thing, where it's like, he unzips one bag and it's a fishing rod. It almost feels like a play. See, for me, like, I, like, I like this story. I mean, the, the actual, like, B-plot is very weird. And yeah. isn't this the, the last scene in it? No, there's one more. There is one more? Okay. There's but one more scene in any case, with Barry talking about it. But thematically, yeah. I thought this was an interesting play. I mean, they're doing a thematic thing. Like, the thing is, like... It doesn't quite work with the other storyline. Like... But I like what they're trying to I do. I like what and they're so trying to do. that's why I bought into it 100%. I think, like, it didn't occur to me, really, until the final scene that that was the thing that they were doing. Because yeah. they have not... Done, they didn't ha- hadn't really done a good job of like connecting the two threads. Yeah, also they didn't. because like I was a little bit less up on the uptake as you were in terms of oh we're doing a Michael Sonia thing mm-hmm. and so like oh yeah I knew from last week as soon as yeah. Alonatal and Michael flirted over him being either weak or honorable I was like oh, man they're gonna fuck right like instantly I was like I know they're gonna fuck yeah I hate this I thought maybe they would have like. I didn't think they were a fuck. I thought maybe, like, they would have, like, a weird something or other, but, like... No, yeah. no, I knew it. I will also say I am extra sensitive to plot lines about idealizing other people no. and imposing your own like, idea of them onto them. I think that's, like, good. Like, but it's also the thing, too, of the show loves to humiliate Barry. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that the show would realize that, like, you can't just humiliate Barry. <laughs> but it's like, no, we're just going to humiliate Barry. Like, it's like, yeah, like, it just seems so mean to Barry to be like, <laughs> yeah, no, the girl doesn't like you. I mean, I probably wouldn't like somebody who bought me a car that was ugly that I, I didn't mean, want. I think that's totally true. I think, like, in general, yes. I think that it's just that because the show is so mean and homophobic to Barry, mm-hmm. that, like, it can't allow like Barry's form of masculinity to be valid. He can't get the girl in the end because he is not man enough. And so like it becomes this weird story that like Barry you flew too close to the sun by thinking you could have a girl. <laughs> you thought you could be bisexual? That's not a real thing. That's not yeah. valid. Exactly. Like it almost feels like that to me. I don't know. That was And also just because 
the guys seemed genuinely very sketchy. Like, I think, like, it really felt like there was a twist coming, and then there wasn't. Nope. Nope. Anyway. And then, like, so Barry, and also because, especially in this scene, Barry is embarrassed because, like, now Sam and Jesse are also embarrassed, and it's, like, awkward, Mm -hmm. you know? So, like, it almost feels like Barry needs to get his hunch validated. Got it. Like, story-wise. Nope. Nope. Nope, fuck Barry. I mean, like, I like that sort of plot line, but it's almost like, it's weird that we're doing it with this character. And yeah, it's like, it for sure is. Especially yeah. because we do not really have a consistent, like, character thread with Barry. Exactly. He is he is a prop. Exactly. And so it just feels like m- more just doing the thing that we do with Barry, which mm-hmm. is kind of just make him, like, hate him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hate the fact that they need him or something. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the office, Fee distracts Cody with sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and takes him to a bar. Takes him to a bar. Which I didn't realize that that's what they were doing until they mentioned it later. It's like, oh, yeah, they're at a bar. Like, oh, okay. In the middle of the work day. Oh, okay. Well, Michael goes into the server room because now the cameras are, like, covered. Mm-hmm. They're, like, looping. They're looping. And he starts putting in the info that he needs to put in while Sonia talks to him through an earpiece. However, Frakes goes into the camera room and notices that the camera quality, I guess, is just not quite as good. Uh, something's going wrong with it. And then they're afraid they're going to have to abort the whole thing. But, like, Michael's like, hold on, I'll get out first and then we can fix it. So he gets out just in time to not be seen in the server room once they fix the com- the cameras. But enough to be seen that he is on the floor where the server room is and not where he's supposed to be, which makes Jack Frakes a little <laughs> bit suspicious. No, they, they call him Frakes multiple times. At the I don't end know the how I missed that. I just didn't care about this dude at all. Again, part of, part of it's like, I like this actor. Sure. But like, yeah, I don't, I think he's like solid. But anyway, so Frakes intercepts him on the, on the floor, on the lower floor. I don't know. He intercepts him and he tells him that he doesn't trust him. And then he does the thing that I've been wanting someone to do this entire episode, which is like, I'm going to watch you do a hack. Because <laughs> it seems like you don't know anything about hacking, really. You're just like, I'm like so confused as that, like, they keep saying we're making you so much money. It's like, are you though? Have you... I, I think he's saying that we're about to. Like, exactly. They keep, they keep saying like, I, I'm running a program and tomorrow you'll be rich. But it's also like, they mentioned earlier in the episode, Sonia says that like, Cody is watching everyone all the time. Like, what are they doing? I don't get 100% the sense that like, Cody is a hacker. He seems like a guy, like a middle manager. He's definitely a middle manager type guy. He's not really a hacker. Yeah, I didn't really get the sense from him that he was a hacker. Yeah, but even then, it was just like, this episode is so committed to the idea that it's very easy to look like you're hacking. Mm -hmm. In a way that's like, almost like, this is not a real discipline. Mm -hmm. Frakes takes Michael at gunpoint to like a computer and says, hack, do a hack. (laughs) (laughs) And outside, Sonia and Sam want to go in guns blazing to get Michael back and finish this whole thing to complete the mission. But then Jesse comes up with a Hail Mary. Now that you've said that, maybe he didn't say Hail Mary the time before, but I kind of think he did. In last episode. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm almost curious enough to go back and look, but I'm not going to. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, no, he definitely says that it's a Hail Mary this time. Mm -hmm. Sam and Jesse pose as cops and interrupt Cody and Fee's date and explain that they're about to send a SWAT team into the hacker office. And as proof, they show Cody all of the security camera footage of him that like, Cecilia, you know, we've been watching you. We're legit. We have hacked your security cameras. SWAT team is about to go in. The thing is, we're afraid that you're going to delete all of your evidence. Mm-hmm. So you need to go into the server room 
and run this program to send all the evidence somewhere and delete it there. Mm-hmm. And like, and they'll, they'll give him a a, and they'll, a deal. Yeah, yeah. And then Sam makes a prison rape joke. I missed that. When you said that this episode was homophobic, I was like, was it? I don't specifically remember it other than Barry's there, which is inherently homophobic. Yeah. No, like, <laughs> Sam says a line like, there'll be no more, like, hanging out with pretty girls because in prison you'll be the pretty girl. Oh, I'm... I thought I missed that. I watched this episode yesterday. <gasps> Clearly uh, I was not paying it. I was just so enamored with Michael and Fee doing their weird little, like, hacker duo thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the office. Michael's hack is going badly because he knows not the first thing about hacking. I, I kind of wish that one of the character details about Michael Weston is in addition to not knowing how to speak Spanish, he's also a touch... He's not a touch typer. He's like a finger typer. <laughs> Where it's like he's fast, but it's still just with his fingers. Because that's how Quinn is. Is Quinn can type pretty fast. He's a writer, but he uses basically two fingers. He uses his pointer fingers, and that's how he types everything. And it's so irritating to watch. And that feels like the vibe Michael Weston gives off, and I wish that was a thing. I do too. That would be really good. (laughs) So while Franks is watching Michael not hack, Fee returns. And then to show that, like, Jack Franks, Jonathan Franks is a bad guy, he he hits Fee, and then Michael's pissed. But then Fee is like, whatever, and explains that Cody is a snitch. Because also, like, part of their whole thing is that they want total security. So, like, she is angry because, like, their security has been breached. Mm -hmm. And Franks asks where Cody is, and the security guy says, like, he's in the server room. He's been there for half an hour. He's doing something that's kind of sketchy, actually. (laughs) Now that you mentioned it. Now that you mentioned it, it seemed kind of weird. Seemed kind of weird. You said it was okay. He said he was doing it for you. And so Fee's like, yeah, no, this is bad. Can we leave? (laughs) And then Franks is like, yeah, you can leave. And then he goes and then he shoots Cody. Well, basically, no, he brings them with him to he go talk to the, Cody. Yeah. And then Cody basically cracks and is like, the cops are here. Exactly. I'm sorry. Well, Michael confirms that the hack happened. Like, he's like, seems like it's deleting all of your information and going to this one location. Huh. How about that? <laughs> Wild how that's happening. And he's like. Crazy of true. Crazy of true. Yeah. They're like, okay, can we go? And he's like, yeah, we can go. And then he shoots Cody, but the camera cuts away right before it does that thing where it's like, he like takes the safety off and he cocks the thing. And then right before he shoots, it cuts away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then Sophie and Michael meet Barry and they give him all the info on where his client's money is. Oh, I remember this scene. Now. Yeah. And then Fee says she's sorry about his girlfriend. And Barry says, sometimes you miss your moment. And then Michael and Fee exchange looks. Mm-hmm. And like, I think if that had been tied in more. Yeah. I think that would like land But missing me. your moment was not the problem. But it is in, kind of though. Is it? In Barry's relationship, it feels like oh, no, he no, missed no. a yeah. lot of things more than missing your well, moment. Well, okay, I think you meant in the Fee and Michael. Uh, no, no, no. no. My, my point is that they're not the same story. Like, right. This is not thematically resonant at all. Right, yeah, because they haven't, we feel like Barry and Trisha, that's like not anything. That's nothing. We've never met Trisha. You didn't even cast an actress for one scene. Like, again, I thought there was going to be a twist because they didn't bother casting an actress. Yeah, no. But they just didn't bother casting an actress. They just didn't bother casting an actress. Because they're like, we don't want to like, we do a lot of shitty things to women on this show, but we don't want a female actress to suffer the indignity of having been Barry's girlfriend. <laughs> I do feel like missing a moment is not even a good resolution for like Michael and Fee's thing. Cause I feel like they could have still done something with the like, yeah, it's hard when you think you're doing something for someone else, but it turns out you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, yeah. Like cause anything. that would work with both and still, you yeah. know, it would connect them a lot more, but it, it, it feels sort of like a very phoned in final. It really does. That's just like, all right, well, I guess you're broken up now. 
You can both go have sex with your respective other partners. And be not happy about it. <laughs> but yeah, so Barry leaves and Michael says that, you know, after the CIA job, like, this is it. Like, I'm doing this because I have to do this, but like, it will be over. And then a few goes, it's already over. And then walks away. And then later that night, Michael comes back to the loft in the pouring rain. We have this like big establishment, like this big shot of like Mammy at night. And there's like a lightning bolt. It's like so overdramatic. Um, <laughs> and he walks in soaked to the bone. No, he's like a little puppy that got left out in the cold. And he tells Sonia like, okay, I want to meet the boss now. And she says, no, you understand. Like, you can't just be part of this. You have to sacrifice. And then Jeffrey Donovan does some acting and like the whole play of the scene is it's unclear if jeffrey donovan is acting or if michael weston is acting and like the voiceover says that it's neither in both or whatever Mm -hmm. and i think like a better show could pull this off more yeah um like because i just like this whole monologue like it's it's supposed to feel like michael is like finally kind of breaking Mm -hmm. you know but like It's so... I feel like they've not done the work to make this monologue work. No. They have not done the work to get to this point and us feel it. No. But yeah, it goes in this whole thing about how, like, he lost everything. His brother died. His girlfriend's not with him anymore. His friends moved on. His mom won't talk to him. Like... She wasn't even in this episode. Exactly. (laughs) Sharon Glass wasn't even in the episode, Alona. Please. Yeah. So he's already lost everything. And so she's like... He goes, this thing that we're doing right now is the only thing that I have left. And um, Alana's like, yeah, me too. And then they fuck. Mm-hmm. They sure do. And, they, and then they fuck. And then and, they cuddle. Which... And then they cuddle. There's this like montage of cuddling or like there's this montage where he says his whole voiceover and then like we see them cuddling in bed, but we also see Fee in bed with Carlos, who's not cuddling. No. And she like grabs a phone and she almost texts Michael and then she decides against it and then deletes the message or like you know backspaces it or whatever mm-hmm. and and nothing happens and then um michael wakes up the next morning and asks sonia to meet the boss and she's like yeah sure i'll set it up and that's how this episode ends yep uh, let's talk about spy tips there's a lot of stuff here mm-hmm. that i think is kind of iffy okay and stuff that like maybe we've kind of seen before mm-hmm. but also at the same time in a lot of ways a lot of the s- steps a lot of the tips that are in this week are a little bit truer to the original conception of this section. Okay. Because they're very practical things that you can use in different situations. Okay, let's do it. So, like, that is my thing about the ones this week. This first one is mostly nothing. I, like, but I put it in anyway. For a spy, running is more than just a way to stay in shape. It keeps your mind focused and reduces stress. Which, is, which are essential when you're working deep cover. It also gives you a good excuse to be in secluded areas, which makes arranging covert meetings a lot easier, if you don't mind being a little sweaty. When was the, when was this tip used? This is the opening, because he meets Agent Strong, and he's, like, running. He's in, like, a hoodie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't... I clearly did not pay attention to this episode. You know what? I don't actually mind this. Yeah, I was going to say, I was I was thinking that it was a little bad, but then I read it. I was like, this is my thing with all these tips where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, this sounds like kind of nothing, but actually it might not be. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you're known for running, then. Yeah. Yeah. You can do meetings and also like, yeah. Okay. Then we'll keep that one then. Great. All right. Number two. Faking a computer hack isn't, comp- isn't that complicated. <laughs> Just like rebuilding a plane isn't that complicated. complicated. 
All you need to do is create a dummy website and run some high-end network scanning software. Of course, the hard part is making it look like your hacking is getting results. To do that, you need a team. I mean, I feel like network scanning software is not necessarily the hardest thing to get. Yeah. Like, high-end maybe is, but... I guess if you research network scanning software and you build a, like, dummy website, which I can totally do, yeah. as long as you have somebody backing you up, nobody is looking at your exact keystrokes, presumably. Right. Yeah. Do you think this is a thing? Yeah. I yeah. think I could probably do this. Yeah. This is the thing about V's tips this week, mm -hmm. is they all feel like things that we could do. Mm -hmm. And we're just two dumb idiots. Exactly. We're fucking imbeciles <laughs> all right next one probing for a weakness in your enemy's security is all about vanity the less impressed you are the more they tend to tell you of course just because you're looking for weaknesses doesn't mean there is one this is one i feel like we've had before we've had it but usually it's like it's more this one's more passive yeah and usually it's more active right like I like that it's just like, act put out and they'll try to impress you. Yeah. It's like, neg them. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I kind of like that as as a concept. Okay, yeah. I'll let it. All Especially because, right. once again, I can totally neg somebody. Exactly. No, you're great at it. <laughs> I'm so great at negging. Uh, it's too bad you aren't. No, of course. I can't. Otherwise, it would have said that you're bad at negging. No, well, that, but the joke was that I was negging you. You're right, of course. Which you'd get if you understood comedy. <laughs> All right, next one. When you need access to a restricted area and you know you're being watched closely, a direct approach is best. Sneaking around when you're under surveillance arouses suspicion. The key is to act like you're doing nothing wrong. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah I know, right? Yeah. All right, next one. As a rule, the faster a drill turns, the louder it is. That's why drills used in covert ops have special gearboxes that move at low speeds. With the right drill bit, they can still get through most walls, though it may take you a minute or two to do it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, presumably you could get, like, a gearbox yeah. that moves at a lower speed. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, and uh, that's not a thing that had ever occurred to me. No, not yeah. not me either. Because I, I expected them to be like, so you need a portable water right, yeah. thing like they've used before. Because that's, that's been the previous way of, like, getting exactly. around drill sounds. But a slower drill would not have occurred to me. Right, exactly. Well, that's five, but here's one more. The risk of using a cover with a skill set that you don't have is that at some point, someone may demand results. <laughs> when failure is inevitable, you lie, deny, and put the blame on others. Um, I mean, that there's not really any anything there. Yeah, that's why I like that one. I was a little bit of young. I don't but think it was you like, can hack. You can't hack. <laughs> yeah. But we already have five, so it doesn't matter one yeah. way or another. All right, we can hear that, but that's five. Yeah. Again, see what I mean, though, about, like, mm -hmm. all of those, like, they're actually kind of almost, like, earlier spy tips. Yeah. You know? Very nostalgic. Really, yeah. Because, like, now it's, like, in order, the spy tips are always, like, shopping list tips or, like, some weird, crazy thing that would never apply to our circumstances. But no. all these kind of do. Mm -hmm. All right, so this has five practical spy tips. Is the case solved with spycraft over violence? Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, a lot of spycraft. A lot of spycraft. Hacking, we've got Mission Impossible style scaling of buildings. Right. Like, yeah, I think the only bullet that is fired is fired by Jonathan Frakes. And he doesn't even technically fire enough. Exactly. So we've got that. Is there an alias this week? There, there is. There sure is. There, there is. Technically, there's two. Yeah. 
I like them. I like them so much. I like the whole thing that they're doing. He has a name. Hang on. Yeah, he has a name. I forgot what the name was. It's definitely Mark. It's Mark something. Yeah, it's he has like a first and last name, and yeah. he just has a first name. Right. Once again, it's that like weird yeah. sexism thing. Women don't need last names. Recaps. They're gonna take other people's last names anyway. Exactly. Hang on. Let me find it. Because, like, half of the uh, aliases for this episode were already in the Burn Notice wiki. Because somebody's been updating it that's not just me. But they didn't have Jason O'Neill as the name for the doctor. Mark Fincher. Michael is Mark Fincher. And Fiona is Priscilla. I like that they're going in, like, they're going with, Fee is a cool hacker girl. And Michael is a weird prissy nerd. (laughs) Yeah, she's, like, his keeper. No, yeah, that is literally what it is. It's, like, he needs his... Special chair and his special yogurt and to get cigarettes exactly when he needs them and to yeah. be left alone. It's ridiculous. I, I love it. I thought it was very fun. Yes, I'm, I'm excited. If this is our last alias, I will only be a little disappointed because it was a fun alias. Exactly. Finally, are there two supporting characters you used well? Once again, Madeline's not in this one, so I'm just going to yep. throw that out right there. Uh, did Fee get to blow something up or be the co-protagonist? I don't think she counts as protagonist. No, I don't think she does either. Because the story isn't about her. No. And... It's about her and Michael as a collective, but it's far more about Michael. Exactly. And, and from she his doesn't point blow of view. anything up either. No, she doesn't. Uh, I mean, she blows up Cody's career and life. That's about it. But that's that's not what we're looking for. Does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? I mean, him and Jesse are kind of second fiddle this whole episode. Yeah. They're, they're relegated to the B-plot. Which is dumb. And they don't do much with the B-plot. No, they don't really. Like, it's not like they get fun moments in it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Not, yeah, not really. So I don't think so. I don't think he is either. And I don't think Jesse is a distinct addition rather than a redundancy because he also isn't really in it. He right. has his, um, you know, his, whatchamacallit. Yeah. His Hail Mary. Exactly. But that's like, but that's, that's not distinct to Jesse. No, it's not really. This will, but the thing is, this still gets a great episode of Burn Notice, mm-hmm. but this is like one of the few great episodes of Burn Notice that gets it without the supporting characters rule. Mm-hmm. Especially for this season, because without an alias for most of them, we've yeah. depended on this rule. So, that's, all so right. that's interesting. That is very interesting. Are we counting this as having yogurts in it or not because it, there was none on screen? Which I didn't see the yogurts. It feels like they could have easily had it next to his computer yeah. on like his second day of work or whatever. Exactly. I don't, feel, I don't, I didn't see a yogurt. I'm going to, I got to see a yogurt. I'm going to double check really quick. You could say 0.5. No, because mentioning yogurt isn't the same. The 0.5 we gave from a, a couple seasons ago was when Campbell. like frozen yogurt when, or was no, it? No, no, no. When Campbell brought him a, a yogurt drink. Oh, a yogurt drink. Yeah. It was like a sort of yogurt. Yeah. I want to give Alana Tall her due. Mm-hmm. I think Alana Tall is really good in this season. I like these episodes. I like her in these episodes. But... And I think this is our final season of Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. I, and I think in the interest of like tradition and just because also I'm right, I have to say one last time, this would have been better if it was Lucy Lawless. <laughs> yeah, really bringing it full circle yeah. of like her final. And it turns out, you know, we've been chasing her all these seasons. And like there's been a handful of episodes that yeah. like, we have, I think, consistently pitched Lucy Lawless in. And then for her to come back and then it be the thing you mentioned last week, which is that this terrorist organization is actually like good. Yeah. But also like if this had been like the kind of his weird Catwoman relationship. That's that true, like, too. Then I would totally buy that he would actually fuck her rather exactly. than like, hello, only available woman I've met in six seasons. Exactly. Like, literally, like, 
it would make so much more sense. Yes. And, like, also the idea that, like, she has been, like, bad this whole time, but, like, this cause has turned her, like, fully good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or, like, seemingly fully good. Sure. And, like, she is now committed to something. And he has he has built up an emotional attachment to her. Yeah. Because as a great asexual, he requires an emotional attachment before he feels sexual, uh, like, attraction. Exactly. And, like, and, like, so, like, having her be, like, a regular, like, semi-regular for this final season would have been so good. Yes. I can't believe I didn't even think of that because I was just so enamored that Ilona Tal is here. Exactly. But you're 100% right. Have, again, would have been so much better. This would have been a better show overall mm-hmm. if Lucy Lawless was just coming in every once in a while. I forgot that she was Larry, that we wanted her to be Larry. Yeah, like any time that Larry showed up instead of like him, it should have been her. 100%. And then Fee thinks she killed her. Yeah. And then, oh, you're so right. Now I'm upset. Um, I mean, uh, that's how we felt the first time. <laughs> that's how we feel every time. But, like, I remember the first time that I ever pitched that this character should have been Lucy Lawless. We were just, like, so angry. Because you're right. Because you're right. I'm just still angry about that episode with Lucy Lawless. It feels wild to me that that episode ended with her killing herself. And, like, I understand that Lucy Lawless is definitely out of their price range on a regular basis and probably wouldn't want to do a multi-season recurring antagonist role. But that is such a disservice to the thing they built up that could have been so narratively useful to them. And you know the other thing about Lucy Lawless? What's that? Age appropriate. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just to wrap this all up, uh, was this a great episode of television? No. No. I, like... I once again had a good time with it. I had a it. good time. I had a lot of really good sequences. But the B-plot, again, I think really drags it down. Uh-huh. And, like, the Michael stuff is not quite working for me because mm-hmm. they haven't really set it up right. Yeah. I think, like... Which I think, again, is why they have the weird montage in the middle of it. They're, like, trying to force this emotional thing that I don't think is really working. Um, because there's plenty of emotional stuff that works, like, in the quiet moments when Fee and Michael are kind of, like, psyching themselves up to be their aliases. Yeah. And then, like, watching them so easily fall into their aliases. And then as soon as, like, the cameras are off, basically, them turning away. All of that fucking works for me. Like, actually, at the end of the weird Mission Impossible sequence, like, they're, like, breathing really heavily. And she's, like okay I'm gonna go back downstairs you come down when you're ready like it's like there's this beat where they're like you know she's grateful to him and he's like oh I felt you on my body and I liked it and like they they're breathing hard and then she breaks it and it's like that was what I needed no totally that works for me that works it was Lucy Lawless, though. What if it was Lucy Lawless 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 is gonna haunt me for the rest of my life for the rest of my fucking life just like it would have been so good It would have been so good if this character was Lucy Lawless and we'd been checking in with Lucy Lawless like once a season, Mm -hmm. you know? And then like she was like this big endgame character where they finally fuck. Yep. Because like they haven't fucked any of these times. Nope. Like you just hold it off. Right, because he's always been with Fee or trying to be with Fee. But now he feels like he's lost Fee because in in her words, it's already over. Exactly. So now he's sort of like, it's, it's, his honorable brain will allow him. But yeah, because she is... Like she feels now. like she's changed, and yeah. because he is like officially broken up with Fee, exactly. And it's like this can finally happen. Mm-hmm. This is what both we... practical, which we know is an important thing to Michael Weston, yeah, and f- it's emotionally worth it for him, exactly. 
God. God what? damn it. <laughs> Again, no offense to Alana Tall, who we like. Yeah, we like her a lot, but she shouldn't, this should not be her. It's, in a just world, it would be Lucy Lawless. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Anyway. In a just world, Alana Tall would be like, instead of Fee having Carlos, she would just have been moved on from Michael and like have like a new sidekick that she's training to like take right. over her bounty hunting when she eventually retires. Right. I could see that. Can you imagine Fee and Alana Tall like right. being like a girl gang even, bounty hunter? Or even just like, how old is Kobe Bell? Kobe Bell, I think at we the looked time. This, at the time he's like 35, I think. Yeah, like. And then, like, it could be a thing of, like, Kobe Bell. And, like, they're more age-appropriate. Definitely. Yeah. Anything. Just, oh, God. Anyway. Yeah. Well, with that, there's really nothing left to do but to thank Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until then, until next week, bye! Sarah Hogel is the third uh, perfect score person from my romance novel spreadsheet. I have a, like Emily Henry, only read one of her books, but in both of those cases, they got a five. So for now, they are undefeated. Like my grandfather, who apparently won his first ever, ever Wordle by guessing Shire in the first guess, and he decided, I'm never going to play again. It's too good. <laughs> <laughs>